0: Uh, We are in a series entitled uh, Looking for Life, and so we've been working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in chapter eight today. Every single one of us uh, is looking for life. We're looking for something meaningful. And uh, so much in this series has been helpful. I I pray it's been helpful uh, for you. Uh, But today we wanna uh, just kinda see where we're at in culture because I think it aligns exactly with where we're at in chapter eight. But if you're following the news at all, you, you saw that this past Wednesday, uh, the House of Representatives voted to pass the Equality Act. And uh, if you're not familiar with it, uh, referenced it in a sermon series back in October, but sure enough, uh, the, the, the bill was passed in the House. It's not law yet, still gotta go through several uh, steps, but essentially the bill is aimed to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. And so the name actually um, sounds great, and the talking points that... Those who are in favor of the bill, what they use sounds lovely, but it's a very manipulative game. It's a very bait and switch type mentality. And you can tell based on the language that they are using, essentially what you're hearing a lot right now is that, come on, man, transgender people deserve to exist in our society. Even, you know, the Oreo cookie official Twitter came out this past week and they tweeted, trans people exist. Thank you, Oreo cookie company. for engaging in politics. <laughs> the double-stuffedness was all we really needed from you. <laughs> but here we go, right? And it's like, okay, okay, listen. Uh, the truth is, as Christians, we firmly believe and understand that there are those who struggle with their gender. Gender identity is a, is a major issue in our country. We truly believe that all people are created in the image of God and deserve dignity and equality. We believe as Christians that God created two genders, male and female. And through his design, he was very specific in wiring us completely different scientifically, biologically, physically, right? And so if someone is struggling with their sexual identity, it's a very real issue. Our heart goes out we believe that you can find clarity through the gospel and in the arms of Jesus. And yet even as there are those who are sexually confused, God brings clarity. And as followers of Christ, we need to bring that clarity as well because uh, this is an issue that is not going away. As followers of Christ, we believe the word of God. God created male and female. We, we understand that uh, sex Outside of marriage is sinful, whether it's same sex or or, um, even in a uh, male-female relationship. We see that God clearly tells us that marriage is designed for one man and one woman uh, for their entire life. But if you believe that, you're going to be criticized and painted as an evil, terrible person. As if you don't care, and because of the terminology used, you as a, as a follower of Jesus are gonna be ostracized as someone who is not loving. If you don't support the Equality Act, then this is how you and I will be labeled. Now the implications of this bill are gonna be seen in huge ways and we're already seeing it in many states, but there are a lot of biological males, boys, playing girls' uh, athletics, right? And so you're, you're seeing male athletes robbing girls of an opportunity to play, of an opportunity to win trophies and win championships and enjoy camaraderie with uh, like-minded females. It's also robbing females of educational opportunities because now, you know, you're you're, you're seeing some of those scholarships in college uh, be taken by uh, males. So we're, we're seeing this injustice happening. It's going to play out in so many different ways. In fact, this was back in 2019. The headline read, Biological Male Sets World Record for Women's Cycling. This is an issue. This is a problem. And it's going to impact our girls. And, and so as a dad of three daughters, it's, it's upsetting. But if you own a business, get ready because you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to comply or are you going to be willing to lose business based on your conscience and based on your faith? In fact, what I am teaching even right now, one day might be deemed hate speech. And you, you might say, oh well, we're in a church and we're always gonna be protected, but I will, I will uh, caution you on that mentality because as this bill gains support, this is not the end goal for, for, this, for this agenda. Uh, the issue will continue uh, to be pushed and, and there's no doubt that our religious freedom, one of the pillars of our country, is um, in jeopardy. And so as Christians, Ordinary Americans, just like me, just like you, we see this, we hear this, and oftentimes it's just extremely frustrating. What are we to do? What can we do? Is there anything we can do? And so, in the face of a frustrating world, how do followers of Christ respond? Well, luckily, in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Solomon gives us wisdom. And he tells us exactly how you and I are to treat and to deal with a frustrating government. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, let's take a look at verses one through nine. It'll be here on the screen if you do not. He says this, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand uh, in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there, for there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. First thing I think he's teaching us here in the first couple of verses is this point. We are to honor God by honoring authority. So when you and I honor the authority in our lives, we are in fact honoring God. So that's a a mentality and a perspective that we can take. Sometimes it's hard to honor someone that you don't respect. It's hard to honor someone who you disagree with. It's kind of like in marriage, right? We're called to honor our spouse, but sometimes it's a little difficult. It's a little challenging based on what he or she is saying and how he or she is actually acting. But as followers of Christ, we're called to submit and we're called to honor God by honoring those in authority. In verse two, he says to keep the king's command. So it's clear, Christians should obey the law. I mean, that's just, it's just natural. This is not new. We know this. We're to obey the laws of the land. And we recognize that the governing authorities over us were put in place there by God. I will remind you of Romans 13:1, which says, let every person be subject or submit to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God." And so we respect, we honor authority because that is honoring God. A few points why this is helpful. God works through authority. God works through the authority in your life. Whether that is a boss, whether that is a teacher, whether that is a government official, God is going to work through this authority. And so in verse five, he says, follow these commands. When we follow the commands of the law, you will know no evil. And so essentially it's in our best interest to follow the law because it's common sense in so many ways. And when we do this, it, God is working through the authority to lead us to a good and righteous way to live, right? It makes sense. But so, so God works through authority, but then B, there's a, a good time and a good way to bring about change. And so the issue then is, okay, we're told to uh, honor authority, follow the law. Okay, but what if it's an unjust law? What if it's a law that we disagree with? What What if it goes against the gospel? Then what do we do? Well, then we can just revolt and kill people and mobs and all that, right, God? That's allowed? No, 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 no. He says there's a good time and there's a good way to bring about change. And so what is that way? Verse three, look at it again. He says, be not hasty. Don't be hasty. Right, so there's a a caution here, Uh, specifically when you go into the presence of the king Solomon's talking about. So in that uh, world at this time, if you approached a king and you said something hasty, you walked away hasty, your body language was a little hasty, he had the authority to put you in jail, prison, kill you, do whatever he wanted to do. And so Solomon's wisdom is slow down. Do not be hasty. Don't don't disrespect the authority that you are in front of. And so students, we don't disrespect the teacher by walking away or saying something hasty to her or to him. We don't walk away from a boss in a hasty manner. We don't walk away from a police officer in a hasty manner. You might get tased, right? Follow what they are instructing you to do. But oftentimes it's tempting to disobey. It's tempting to wanna actually, you know, revolt, uh, lead the revolution. It's, it's tempting to, to one, when we disagree with government, to automatically say, we can do whatever we wanna do, right? In the face of evil, you bring evil, you know, fight fire with fire. And Solomon says, be careful. Don't be hasty. Don't engage in ungodly efforts, even in the face of adversity or evil because you don't wanna compromise your integrity just because you disagree. And verse five, this is what he says, the wise will know the proper time and the just way. Right? There is a right way, wrong law, equality act, is not gonna be helpful, it's gonna hurt society, it's gonna hurt a lot of people. So here we go, how do we deal with it? He says a wise person will consider the timing And we'll consider a just way. Now the problem is, so often we don't know when is the right time and we don't know the right way. We just operate out of our own instincts. But essentially we go back to examples like Daniel. Daniel was called to worship a false God. Daniel didn't, you know, make any signs. He didn't post anything on social media. He just didn't follow it. He worshiped God. He did it discreetly, he did it honorably, he didn't disrespect the king in a a verbal way, right? He tried to honor him through that situation and then when the king discovered what he was doing, he was willing to take the consequences. Now that's difficult for us to hear, but that's the example and the model that we see in scripture. I love how Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 10, He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be wise as a serpent, but as innocent as a dove. Let's not go past. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Do you realize that we live in a culture of wolves that seek to do harm to Christians, that seek to fight directly against the work of God in your life and the work of God in the world? Sometimes we get so complacent in America and for several years now, we haven't really faced Christian persecution here and so we get comfortable, don't we? And as a result of this comfortability, we see this verse and we go, oh, maybe one day it's gonna get bad and uh, that's gonna be helpful for people over in Iraq who are Christians because they're getting persecuted but we tend to just kinda glaze past this verse for ourselves but no, we live in a culture of wolves. They wanna intentionally harm the work of God and the will of God in your life and to do anything and everything to divert you from following God's plan and path in your life. And so the sheep in this simile, this figure of speech, is you and you and I, it's you and I, and, and we've gotta be ready. We've gotta be willing to, yes, we have to be just like a dove in some ways and just like a serpent in some ways. Now think about it, in light of the, the, the gospel, which is the, the Great Commission, right, to, to bring the gospel into the hearts and ears and minds of people uh, in our culture. He says, I want you to do this. I want, you, I, I want you to go and make disciples. But now we're living in this culture of wolves, so how do we do it? How, how can, we, can we do this successfully? And so the serpent, he says, I, I want you to act like the serpent. And so the serpent is, is crafty. The serpent is patient. The serpent is intelligent. The serpent is shrewd. And so in many ways, we are waiting for the right opportunity. We are shrewd in our handling of situation. We're cautiously, but we are also ready and willing to speak truth. We are also ready and willing to strike and, and, and not, in a, not, not in a physical way, but, but in a way that would bring uh, the, the, the truth to a situation. And so, uh, the dove was thought of as innocent and harmless. And so there's, there's wisdom in us being gentle as a dove, but not being a pushover. There's wisdom in us being careful with our words, but then ready to speak truth. And we have to balance the two. Um, I love how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So notice that they will accuse you of doing wrong. I can't believe that you don't like people who struggle with their sexual identity. Why don't you love people? You're an evil person. They're gonna accuse you of doing wrong. Sometimes we're surprised by that. It's very biblical, we should expect it. But then the instruction is, here, here's how to handle that. Live your life in such a way that you're doing good deeds so that one day they might glorify God. So in other words, we're to live a holy and righteous life doing good to those people who would even speak evil and harm against us and not fight you know, fire with fire and tweet with tweet or Facebook post with Facebook posts. but we do good and in doing good, we let God do his work. And when God shows up in their life, whether through a, a time of you know, challenge or a time of suffering in their life and God begins to wake them up, now all of a sudden you are the person in their life that they have watched. You've been doing good. Now they have questions and they need answers. And on the day that God shows up in their life in a unique way, perhaps they would bring glory to God because of your testimony. So this is a good approach, right? This is what Solomon is, 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 is alluding to, but if we rush into it, if we don't have a good plan, if we, if we attach ourselves to ungodly people doing ungodly things, even if we think it is a righteous call, you're gonna break the law and it's not gonna go well for you. It's not gonna go well for us. And so the, the great news about living in America is that you and I have a voice. Sometimes we may not feel like it, but you do. But the reality is so often we don't use these avenues. If there is a law that is unjust or that we do not agree with because of the system that is in place for us, you can make phone calls to your representative, your senators, your governors. You can write letters. You can share stories. You can build websites and campaigns and you can give money to organizations that are fighting for this cause that that you are excited about. These are ways that you can actually make a difference. You can be respectful even when other people disagree with you. all of these ways, you can, you can send thank you cards when, when uh, government officials actually do their job in a, in a holy and righteous way. So I'm, I'm afraid to ask, with so many adults in the room or even watching online today, how many people have ever made a phone call to their representative, or ever made a phone call to a government official? Now, see some hands. See, the reality is, on issues like this, this, this is our opportunity to, to step in. This is our opportunity to voice our opinion. And, and uh, listen, I am a basketball fan, and I will tell you this. When you show up at a game, and I'm not saying I do this, but if a ref makes a bad call, and I should su- suggest that it wasn't a great call, in a godly way, (laughs) and I give him some instructions on what he or she should do, they listen. I promise you they listen. The nicer you are, the better. You gotta be nice, don't be hateful. But why? Because human beings are persuasive and we naturally want to please the crowd. So the reality is, who's the loudest right now? And you see why it feels like Christians aren't doing anything or we're losing in this battle and we throw our hands up and then we go back to the golf course. Like you, you realize that this country will be here long after you die and your children and your grandchildren will be left with the mess that we kind of left them, right? So there is a little bit of purpose and intentionality behind this that we don't just throw up our hands in frustration, we actually do our part. Right? We have this privilege. Right? Not every fight, not every uh, situation is a battle that you need to fight. I get that. We've gotta consider what battle uh, and, and, and consider which one we need to lead, which one we need to engage in, but we pick those battles wisely. And if you're the person who is on the other side always fighting and always in conflict, then we gotta check our heart on that issue as well. So there's the issue of not caring and doing anything And then there's the issue of you're fighting every day. You're fighting with your parents. You're fighting on Facebook. You're fighting for this cause and blah, blah, blah. People don't like you. (laughs) So we don't have to jump onto every single bandwagon issue that's going on. We need to learn how to fight well. We need to learn how to engage well. And Solomon is saying very clearly that we honor God by honoring our uh, authorities uh, I wanna remind you as well that Jesus lived under the, under the worst, most oppressive government the world has ever seen. When you think about the Roman government and what it did to the world and how it killed even Christians just for being Christians and all the evil that, that was taking place and the, uh, all the things that were happening over the course of that dynasty, like Jesus lived under that government And he flourished. He made disciples. He changed the world. The disciples changed the world as a result, even under that oppressive government. Like no matter what our government does, you and I have a mission and you and I have a purpose and we serve a God that can do things that you never dreamed of. So you gotta be faithful. We gotta walk with him. And even in the midst of, um, what the Roman government did, look at the, the way that God, a sovereign God, uses an unjust government. A couple things, real quick. First of all, because of this government, they, throughout the years, created a road system that the world, civilized world, had never seen uh, roads and a, the ability to, for people to travel like never before. And then persecution broke out in the Roman government against Christianity uh, as soon as uh, Jesus was resurrected. And over time, as that persecution built, what happened? Well, Christians left the city and they went on the roads and they took the gospel with them. You never know what God is doing through an unjust government. And it's not for you or I to actually know or to try to figure it all out. It is called for us to be reminded that we honor God when we honor the leaders and the governors and the presidents that are above us. Let's keep going in verse 10. He keeps helping us here. Verse 10, he says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that It will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is... Vanity. If you're taking notes, let me break this down for us. It will go well for the faithful who fear God. It will go well for you. So, in the midst of uncertainty and frustration, um, what are we to do? We are called to be faithful. We are called not to forget God. We are called to honor God, worship God, serve God, and be faithful to Him, living a righteous life in the midst of unrighteous people. In verse 10, he says, I saw the wicked buried. You know, sometimes what helps snap us out of our selfishness and our lack of purpose in life, we attend a funeral. When you attend a funeral, there is something about that that draws our attention to the idea and the reality that life is precious, that life is short. It gives us perspective and reminds us how brief life actually is. Douglas O'Donnell once said, death is an enemy, but also an evangelist like the mentality of that, because it is an enemy. It's a terrible thing that we have to face. And at the same time, it draws our minds and attentions to eternity and where we will go when we are lying in that box. Verse 11, he says, because evil isn't always punished immediately, the hearts of the children of men are set to do evil. What's he mean by that? Well, what he means is evil people seem to live a good life. Why doesn't God judge evil? Quickly, you thought that, this person harmed me. This injustice happened to me. God, you should judge them right now. Why are you waiting? And then we harm somebody and we're like, well, God, I don't know about that judgment so quick. Give me some time, right? We see uh, evil people seem to get away with sinfulness in their life and, and, and we want God to reward our faithfulness now and we want him to execute judgment around us, on other people that hurt us, right now. And so Solomon is saying, if evil is punished right away, we think twice about committing sin. <laughs> if evil was, was, was punished immediately, you and I would think twice. Just imagine this for a minute, think about this. What, what if there were no police officers, no jails, no courts? What if we really did defund the police and they weren't around? Would righteousness increase or decrease? I think it's pretty simple. It would would decrease, like it would be uh, the wild, wild west, right? So his point is when you feel like you're getting away with sin, our hearts lead us to press on towards sin. That is in my heart. It is in your heart as well. But when we do that, we are taking advantage of the grace of God. We're taking advantage of his patience Romans 2, 4 says, God's kindness is meant to lead you and I to repentance. And so the fact that he isn't judging you for what you did this morning or last night is his grace. And the scripture would say, don't press it. It may look like you're getting away with the sin. It may look like evil people are getting away with sin, but they will not. God's judgment is coming for each of us and he will deal with each of us accordingly. In verse 12, He goes on, he says, it's gonna go well for those who fear God. So it's gonna go well for the faithful who fear God today. Now, I know a lot of us, our head spins with all of the confusion and injustice around us, we get upset, what are we to do? He says, I want you to remember God, don't forget God is in control, be faithful to him, follow the word, Trust him, because God's justice will not be denied. It will not be denied in your life, those that have hurt you, and it will not be denied for those who are living an unrighteous life today. It looks like people are getting away with whatever it is, sin they are committing, but it just means the judge hasn't shown up yet. One day the judge will show up, and then one day people will be taken to jail in a sense. So when the government is doing ungodly things and we're tempted to forget God and wonder, God, why aren't you giving us better leadership? And God, why aren't you allowing us to make right decisions? And God, why don't you care? God, why are you so slow? It's, it's really simple. We slow down, we trust God. We fear God. In the face of injustice, we pray. We seek his faith, his faith. We live righteously and we allow our righteous deeds to influence other people. We fear God, it's that simple. Let's keep going. Verse 14, he says, there's a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and there are wicked people to whom it appears according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity and I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So essentially what he's saying here, very simple, have fun and enjoy your life. It's going to be frustrating. There's going to be injustice. Things are not gonna go your way. We fear God, we trust God, we are faithful to God and we have fun and we enjoy our life. This is the simplicity of what Solomon is teaching us. In 14, verse 14, he's saying, look, it's gonna look like bad guys win and it's gonna look like good guys don't have the power to change anything, so what can we do? And he says, enjoy your life. Eat something good, drink something good, and and, and sip in the true joys of the relationships that you have and the goodness of God. Find a hobby, have some fun, get out of your head, stop tweeting, stop Facebooking, shut up. Get some of God in your heart and in your life, right? Too many of us are freaking out over every issue, every day. You're gonna have to disconnect from the news. You're gonna have to get your head out of the spin of the media. And you've gotta trust that God is in control. If you do not, you're gonna start to idolize and worship the cause that you are fighting for. And your cause will become your God And then you'll become a curmudgeon that nobody wants to be around. All you care about and all you talk about, all the conversations you are engaged in are about this issue and and you're critical and you're upset and nobody wants to be around you and nobody wants to talk to you and now division is in your family, division is in your church. Why? Because you're not handling it the right way, the just way, at the right time. Let me remind you that people actually enjoyed hanging out with Jesus. He was a good, he was a good hang. Like he was a good dude to hang out with. He got invited over to people's house. He got invited to parties. People loved to eat with him. People loved to talk with him. Let me ask you, do people like hanging out with you? Does your spouse enjoy hanging out with you? Ooh, sorry to get too personal there. You gotta find a hobby, man. You gotta clear your head. You gotta stop arguing and stop freaking out. And you've gotta be able to engage in this life with purpose. Yes, there is injustice. Yes, there are issues, but not every issue is a hill to die on. If you're so focused on that injustice and you're freaking out, you're not going to trust God. You're not going to enjoy God. You're not going to enjoy the relationships that he has given to you. And so we have got to come back to the simplicity of what, th- th- by the way, this is, this is, short of a command, this is an invitation by your creator to enjoy your life. Are you enjoying your life? Or do you endure this life? There's a big difference. And if you're the cranky, upset, curmudgeon, we see it on your face. You remember verse one, wisdom impacts your appearance. There's a glow on your face, right? Your your face shines in, in a way, why? Because there's not that hardness of face. Take a look at your neighbor today. Do they have a glow about them or they got that hard look on their face? I don't know. How do we change that? Let me close with this so that everybody's face can glow today. First of all, joy comes from gratitude. Are you grateful? We've learned in this series that if you're the kind of person that always longs for more money, more stuff, something else, if you're constantly pressing in and desiring and envious and coveting more, you will not be grateful for what you have. And if you're not grateful for what you have, then guess what, no joy. Solomon's already told us you won't experience joy. You won't experience happiness. He said, I tried it all. I tried to find joy in all of these things and, I, and it's just not going to happen. So are we grateful? Do we consider the blessings that we actually have that God has already given to us? Right? What about this, letter B? Gratitude comes from wisdom. So the wise man, the wise woman, the wise student, teenager in the room, is the person that is grateful and understands that what he or she does have, he doesn't deserve. So if you're the kind of person that is like, man, God, why don't you give me this? And God, why aren't you taking care of this? And God, this is unjust and you should be changing this. And and if that leads you to that frustration, then you've gotten yourself in a place to where you're, 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 you're not being wise about everything because you've forgotten what God has already given you. And so, you have to get to the place to where you realize you don't deserve anything you have. You don't deserve that wife. You don't deserve your kids. You don't deserve that job. And the more you complain about all of these things in your life, the, the less joy you're gonna have. You gotta get to the place to where you can truly say, my wife is a gift from God. My job, even though there's frustration at work and da da da, is a gift from God. See, it's an attitude shift. It's a a mentality shift. We don't say, God, why don't you give me this or what they have? We say, God, everything that you've given me, I don't even deserve. And then finally, gratitude is a response to a gift. So if you're gonna be grateful, you're going to respond to the gifts that God has given to you. When you open up a present and you open it up, it's like, oh, thank you for the gift. Side note, if the person repeats what's inside of the box, they probably don't like it. (laughs) They open it up, oh, it's a pair of socks, thanks. Repeat is a bad thing. Don't repeat on your birthday, Christmas. Just a side note there, not biblical. Gratitude is a response to a gift. And God has blessed you with so many things in your life. Wisdom brings clarity. Wisdom helps you recognize that the things that you do have you don't deserve. And so some of us are so focused on wanting more and having more, we don't recognize the gift that we have right in front of us. We're so caught up this year in all the things that are wrong, we've forgotten the treasure, the gift of this country in the first place, the blessing of this country. Sure, there's, unjust, sure, there's things, right? There's, there's big issues going on, there are things that are, but Solomon is like, look, This is gonna be a part of a broken, sinful world. You're gonna be miserable and you're gonna make other people miserable and you're gonna waste your life if you don't slow down and get with some friends and eat some good food and drink something good and have some fun together and enjoy your life. Have meaningful conversations with your family. Play some games. Get out of your head and enjoy this day, rain or shine. We enjoy and we're grateful and thankful. In the ancient world, leprosy was like the worst. It disfigured your body. You were ostracized from the community. Like you were in isolation. It had to be literally the worst way to live your life. And one day Jesus is walking by this village and there are 10 leopards sitting there. They see him walking by and they cry out, Jesus, come and heal us. Jesus walks over to them. and. And he does, he heals them and they all go away to, to, to follow the cleansing ceremony and, and Jesus sticks around. And out of the 10 guys that were healed, only one came back and told Jesus, thank you. Why is that? Jesus is like, where's everybody else? Didn't I heal 10 of you? Why didn't they come back and say, thank you? Only one comes back because so often this spirit of ingratitude grips our heart. It takes over our, our, our thinking and our mindset. It's a huge issue. It's too common today. We take for granted all these ways that God is blessing us, all these opportunities that God is given and is giving to us. And so be thankful for your material possessions. Thank God for them. Thank God for the people that, that God has brought into your life and you're, we're so easily complaining about them because they don't meet our needs and they mess up and they don't do things that we want them to do. And it's like, oh, if they would just do everything exactly how I want them to do, then I would like them, God. <laughs> doesn't work like that, does it? We thank God even in the midst of trials. James 1 says, "'Consider it pure joy, my brothers, "'whenever you face trials of many kinds, "'because you know that the testing of your faith "'produces perseverance.'" Even in the face of trial, we can say, God, we are thankful for what you're doing in our midst. And we can always be thankful for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. We did not deserve it. We do not deserve him still. We never will earn it. We never will understand it completely, but we can be thankful that our sin is forgiven and that we have hope today. So it's pretty simple. What do we do with this frustrating world? Well, we recognize the good gifts that God gives to us. We honor authority, we fear God, and we enjoy our life. Some of you need to get busy enjoying this day, enjoying the relationships that God has given to you. Let's pray together. I'm sure there's some frustrations in the room because of things happening in the world and things happening in your life. The choice is yours. How are you gonna face it? How will you face the adversity? What will you allow your mentality to be? Because every day you have a decision to make and the decision is, what's my attitude gonna be? Am I gonna face it with the godly attitude? Am I gonna face it with a critical spirit? What if you sat around the dinner table with family and friends, and instead of taking them for granted, you actually told them how much you love them? What if you realized this week just how good you actually have it? What if you sat back and laughed with some friends and told some stories and laughed at yourself some, you stopped taking yourself so seriously? What if you were actually thankful for a country that's provided freedom? What if you started to look down, up, all around, and you really, every day, started to notice the amazing gifts the Lord has given to you? And your decision moving forward was that, you know what? I'm gonna soak up every moment. I'm gonna soak up every moment. I'm gonna be grateful for every moment because the life that God has given to me, I do not deserve. Lord, we are humbled before your word yet again, as it brings us to an end to our selfish thinking and it gets our mentality on those around us. And that is hard for us to do, but in light of what we have experienced, Lord, this is a a message that we continually need to preach to ourselves and be encouraged by your word. And so I pray that those here today who don't know you would come to know you. Those who have allowed the critical spirit to envelop their mind and heart, and, and it has become their God, may they experience the reality the reality of your purpose in their life. And God, may they come to a place to where they could truly enjoy their life and be thankful and grateful for what you are doing and have given to them. So God, we are trusting in you, we're hoping in you. And we know that you are the only person that can truly bring us peace today. And that's what we need, and that's what we long for, and that's what we desire. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text SC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.